0: Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Bandy back for part two of our and Footy episode this week. So this is a and Footy episode, guys. No super coaching this one, all NRL. And part one, me and Luke from the Rugby League Cemetery podcast, diehard Knights fan, also prominent jersey collector, which I need to mention, Luke, <laughs> are back to continue the discussion. So um, we were halfway through discussing Payne House. We talked about Payne's suspension that he's currently got but the second part of that topic was talking about contracts so let's get straight into it Luke Paynehouse's contracts he is on 800,000 a year obviously a front rower obviously arguably the the top front rower in the league and very young still but that 800k was actually already upgraded once by Brisbane 12 months prior when he said he wasn't on enough money and now it's come out the last couple of weeks which by the way his management haven't denied at all that. He wants a million dollars a year and he wants Brisbane to get him on a million straight away. Now he's got a contract that goes through 2024. So he's still got a couple of years left. I'm interested in your take on this one because mine is very negative toward the Payne House camp on it. I can't believe that we allow guys to to come and get an upgraded contract already, let alone to do it twice in the same contract. And this isn't even someone who's off contract in a year. You know, he's got through 2024. So to me, it's kind of ridiculous um, as far as being able to ask or, or thinking that you can. Also, 800000 to me for him is, is very fair at the moment. Uh, and the other thing too is it opens up a wider discussion on where are we at as a game with these type of contracts because to me, it's madness. You know, you can't – it gets said sometimes, but I've been saying it for for many years now. You can't do a good deal in rugby league anymore. You sign someone young that you think is – you've scouted well – and that you can get on a good deal, which is something that my roosters you know, used to do in the past with guys like RTS and Cordner and so forth. And it pays you in that first couple of years of NRL because you all of a sudden have a guy that's worth 500 on 300 and and that's how you actually win competitions, and that's how you become competitive because you have to have those vague contracts. But all of a sudden, the last couple of years in particular, we're in an era now where if you do that and the guy outperforms the money that you pay him, he will request and demand to get more money or he will go somewhere. And that also doesn't happen, by the way, in the reverse. You don't get guys that, or that get clubs saying to them, you haven't played very well. Like, Caitlin Ponga, you haven't been a $1 million player. So only. You need to <laughs> yeah. have 300000 a year. Yeah. And I don't think that would go down very well either. So, Luke, I, I absolutely hate this stuff. We're going to yeah. talk about his actual worth in a minute and who should sign him and and how it all fits in like that. But as far as the actual process of doing this, you know, I think it's madness.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, it's a terrible system. The Knights got stung by it really badly a couple of years ago because it is a really obvious example one, is that um, was Jesse Ramian. So Jesse Ramian, we signed him, we, we, before he ever played first grade and it was 12 months before he was going to come here so we got in early and we offered really good money I forget the, but that was really good money for a guy who hadn't debuted um, and then he had that really good debut year for the Sharks and all year we were just like how good's this like this guy can play you know like we've got a good one And we've got him for three years and he's only going to be in the early 20s and he got by the time he got here he was like this I'm now worth way more than that and he phoned it in he was terrible here and left you know, half a year in, and he did that because he phoned. He came here and was like, "This is crap. I'm being underpaid, and all this sort of stuff." But, but you know, we'd offered a couple hundred thousand dollars to a guy who hadn't played first grade yet, and he he could have sucked. How many good players? I mean, Moses Suli is a good example. He was supposed to be the best player ever from reserve grade, right? When he was coming through the juniors. Um, but he did nothing when he got to the, like he was, when he got to the, he's got a bit better now to be fair, but it, he never justified that money early at the Tigers. It can go the other way. So we took a risk and, you know, once we lost Raymond, everyone was like, they need strike centers, they need strike centers. And we're like, well, we got one, we got a really good deal for one and we got burned by it. But it's it's a similar thing here. Um, I don't know the ins and outs other than that. I know Hass is trying to get rid of his management. So I wonder if, because he is, I know he is in, in court trying to get rid of his manager. I wonder if somehow that will undo the deal at all. Like I wonder if he's saying something about that deal was done wrongly or um, do you know what I mean? I, I don't have those ins and outs, but I wonder if that's why it's coming up, whether he's changing management or alleging something was done wrong or or dodgy or whatever else. And they're going to so use he, that to try yeah, and avoid it. So he does I, have a new manager guessing. coming in that's yeah. saying that he should be on million dollars a year. But like... Yeah, but I, I don't... I, I'm only guessing whether that's somehow, whether they're trying to allege that that contract shouldn't hold up. I'm, not, so I'm just... I'm, I'm guessing there. But let's say that's not true for now and that they're just trying to get it upped. Um, I think that... it. I think the, the thing is if I was Brisbane, I'd I'd line in the sand it and not, I, I would say no. Um, and I know it might cost them down the line and I know they can phone it in. And you can end up having to let go of them. But if he was off contract and I was Brisbane, so if he was off contract right now, I would pay a million bucks not to lose him because he's too important, but I would do that because it would keep them because I know that I know the roosters are going to want a prop and they might want him. And you know, that maybe another contender wants a prop, but if you're a contender you can't pay a million dollars for a prop. That would see off the Roosters. It would see off a uh, Melbourne or whoever else because they've got to pay that money to Tedesco and Hughes and you know Grant and 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 Keary, Right? Like you, you can't afford to pay a million dollars for a front roller unless. I'd you argue don't that eight hundred thousand
0: that he's already upgraded yeah. to is already possibly a bit over, if not you know. It, very it'd,
1: it'd be pushing complimentary. it. Yeah, it'd be pushing it. But I might pay him a million if that's what it took to make him not go to the Roosters if he yep. was off. But he's not off. And he's here for the next number of years, and he's not going to get an offer of a million dollars from another team. I wouldn't think. Well, not a, not a contender anyway. He'll have to go to someone that's also not good. If he wants to play on a good side, which they've said that might be an issue that he's sick of losing, he won't get a million dollars somewhere else. So I don't really see the point of of upping that deal. Um, it's already till twenty twenty four. If he was, you know, if he wanted a million a year till he was twenty seven. Right now, you might think about that. It's a bit different to the Tamalolo one because he's younger. But my issue would be, if we can see this, he's going to come in next year and want 1.2 because he wanted eight last year and we did that. Now he wants one. And if we say, okay, we'll give you one if you extend to X amount of years, that sounds good on paper. But next year, he's going to be like, well, I played really well and now I've got an offload in my game and I played for Australia and now I want 1.2. And then what are you going to do? Like, well, it's, <laughs> it, just, it's, it,
0: it, it's you're right. To, at some it's point, you're the line.
1: It, it's done. And one upgrade? I get because I, I agree with you I don't like it but players kick the can now when they're on unders and they'll get out so I, honestly like once I can say you know what you are underpaid and we're going to show you what a nice organization we are is not a bad way to counter that culture like it's you can't like it's very hard to turn it around players are going to be like that mm-hmm. I understand that the Knights did it with Ponga the first time and apart from the clauses about him leaving which is stupid. I understand that. When they got him on 600, I understand why they upped that the first time to more than that, because they want to keep him long term and making him smile and happy is important and he was worth it. But you can't then just go back a second time on the same contract and then bump up by another couple of hundred thousand. Like, it's just getting out of hand now, right? Like, well, you signed this thing, why did you not want it? Is half better than he was last year? It's just the same player, right? Like, what's changed?
0: Uh, he is the same player and it's... Very good I mean, player, by the way. That's going very, towards... Very good player. Well, yeah, but, and that's but, going towards his worth and what you'd pay him. Like I had someone... Like there's obviously the, the normal rumour that the Roosters might be interested and that's already happened. Like they actually yeah. asked Trent Robertson the other night on NRL L 360 oh, would the Roosters <laughs> be interested in paying. And like... Look, that always happens. It, yeah. The thing is, though, And,
1: like, everyone's interested in paying Haas fundamentally, right? Like, because, it, like, it's... A silly well, yeah, question, that's right. Are you interested in paying Haas? Yes. Do you want to pay him a million dollars? No. Yeah, like, are you interested and are you actively going to get him soon on a huge heap of money is a different question. Everyone's interested. Like, he's a gun.
0: <laughs> well, I actually said that I'm not interested, you know, like, yeah. as a fan. Like, when I was chatting to friends of mine and, and even um, some listeners and stuff that asked me about it, I said, no, actually, I'm not li- interested. I, I rate him... That's probably the best prop in the game right now yeah and I would not be interested in going anywhere near him and part of that is because it's way over overpriced like I wouldn't even want to pay him 800k okay really a, a million dollars is like just crazy money for, for a front rower and look I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why okay I, I really have a good belief in his ability. Um, but I, and, and this goes on, you know, that last conversation we had in part one about his behaviors, mm. he hasn't behaved well the last couple of years. I don't really love his attitude and I don't, you know, he hasn't even been remorseful about the things that he has done wrong. And we spoke about, you know, abusing that female officer. I thought that was really bad. Um, it's, I also not, it's not a good one. I also <laughs> yeah. thought it was really bad that he didn't cooperate at all with the integrity unit and didn't see any problem with that. You know, like that is your employer and you're contractually obligated to meet requirements and you have to speak to them. And if you're not going to, like that's a big issue. So I question his maturity and his leadership and his behaviours. And if you're going to pay someone, you know, 200K with those question marks, you do that because you can afford to. If you're going to pay someone 800 grand and have that in there. I've got no interest in it, but I understand that other people will disagree with me on it. And I fully understand their point of view in disagreeing with me. I put a lot of, I put a lot of basis of team performance in individuals and behaviors, as well as actual skill level and ability. Like, I think that's really important stuff. And I think you've seen it in Brisbane, you know, you've had pretty poor leadership and I think a pretty questionable culture there for a number of years, and Payne has been there for that. And he's part of it, you know, like you don't, yeah. oh. you don't win games like that. But the last point on that too is on his ability. He's a fantastic front rower, but he's not going to win you games. And you've seen that with Brisbane as well. I don't think that he's going to win you games. He's just going to be a really important piece to help you as a role player. 700K, yeah, okay. But even with the behavioral stuff, I wouldn't want it. But just say, on ability, like there's no way I'm paying him $1 million a year or more. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, that's uh yeah, I'll agree with some of that and disagree with you on some. So I wouldn't pay him a million dollars. Um, I would if I was Brisbane. I don't think they can afford to lose him if he was off contract. If he was off contract now and had, you know, and teams were coming at seven and eight, I would get to a million to not lose him because of where they're at with their development. And I don't think they can afford to just keep losing every good play. They can't just start mm. with David Fafita, lose David Fafita, start with Walsh, lose what well, you have to keep them at some point. Um and you need to build your team around something. And I think it would be too big of a blow at the moment for them. But I, w- I don't think he's worth a million dollars because nothing to do with him. He's about as good as a front rower can get. Uh, he started offloading this year a bit. And if he picked that up a bit, he'd be about as good as you can really get. Like in terms of there's not much more you can do, right, than make a hell of a lot of money. Oh, he's always land player. on your front. Yep. Um, but I don't think a million bucks is viable in the salary cap for a front rower. Uh, you know, unless a lot of other stuff goes right, unless you've got a lot of other guys on good deals and and, and all that sort of stuff. I think it's a bit much. Um,
0: but, you know, just to jump in there, you know what happens though? Yep. If you do have other guys on good deals, like say you've got a really good yeah. fullback on two more years of 300K and a really good half yeah. on a rookie deal, yeah. they're going to ask for upgrades. Yeah, so like-
1: that's right. They will. And, and, and then you can't win. You know, you've got a short window to win and it can't do it once they all want the upgrades. But yeah, I think, Eight hundred. I don't think eight hundred's bad. In fact, if I was the Roosters, I have no idea what their books are like and everyone will lose their heads if they manage this. But <laughs> I, I would pay him eight hundred. Grand, because I think, I, I mentioned in part one that I think they're they're a bit weak now in the forwards. I think that they would win the comp if he was in their front row still. I think they're off their game at the moment, but they're always hot and cold early in the year. I, I think there's a little bit, I think the grunt, like that he, the fact that you could play him 65 minutes and then play mm-hmm. him 70 plus in the finals, I think would make just such a difference um, to them that I would, and, and Robbo's got a great history. One thing I really respect about Robbo is that he seems to know um, not to change the combo, but he seemed every time I thought they were short of something, he's identified it. And it's easy to say Salary cap sombrero, but he always gets the right guys. He was like, Pierce isn't cutting it, Kronk. He's like, we're short at fullback, Tedesco, you know. Um, he seems to have always nailed that. And I, if I was him, I wouldn't be surprised if he is looking at a gun front role, even if it's not Haas. Um, the only thing I think, I don't think that's a big disagreement, Now I'm saying I'd pay eight. Um, you were saying seven. We're not a mile look, apart, right? Like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, look, some it, clubs
0: say 800's fine. Yeah. Um, it, but it just I think it irks me that he's already on 800, which I already think is a really good wicket. Yeah, that so he's just, asking for more. It's, and that's it's, another behavioural thing, right? Like, I don't mean to keep going back to it, but you, you judge someone on their actions. And all of the actions outside of actually playing football, you know, that's just another one. Like, mate, we've upgraded you once to yeah. a really fair deal of 800,000 that... You might have gotten from a handful of teams, but you wouldn't have gotten any more than that, you know? And now you want a 25% more increase on a deal that runs through another couple of seasons. Like, that's a... And people will say, oh, but that's his manager. You know what? The manager works for the player. The player has to okay it and and agree that they want
1: it. That's true. It is. And it's, you know, it's. I don't want to be hypocritical because I've been pretty baggy of Ponga in the first step and for doing similar things, right? Like for wanting more money than he really has earned. Um, but. It's uh, the main point uh, it's not even a huge disagreement i don't I don't say it's good that some of the misbehavioral things he's done but but when you say you don't want that in your team um I'm not saying you should go and court that like I t- I'm not saying yeah, you yeah. should want it but I see one of the leadership things I do see in rugby league is I think Kalen ponger daily cherry Evans style speak leadership is overrated saying all the right michael clark's supposed to be saying all the right things and being a mediator one thing that i see as leadership is actually what you do around football um the way you train and how much you want to win um and just as an example there's a quite you know i don't want to get too deep into this but i mean greg birds done some fairly appalling things when he was playing rugby league and but mm-hmm. he was such a leader of a forwards in a rugby league sense People liked
0: playing with him and they followed. Him. Yeah,
1: I don't, I don't want to get too deep into that, but like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like him to marry my daughter. I'll put it that way, lad one. Um, but in terms of a football side, like his desire to win on the field and effort areas, um, Gallon's supposed to be for that as well. Gallon just did every little thing you could do to win football games. You know, the cup, the, the preparation, the the effort. Um, the stuff that would go into the field to just never leave any stone unturned to win. Edra um, Johns was like that. He has a lot of personal flaws. Um, he used to roast teammates at training and swear at them and all of this stuff, but it was all in this leading a team to try and win. Like everything was directed, all of those energies and every little thing you could do to try and win went into it. Um, and I do, I, I do see a little bit I'm not putting him anywhere near those levels, but I do see a little bit of that sort of stuff with how. I see him make cover tackles in games where he has no business getting back there. I see him chase opposition breaks and kicks. Like he's covered kicks where they've made a line break and the winger kicks infield and he's moted 50 meters in case. he does, he does on the field do a lot of the little things that a lot of his contemporaries, especially these days, actually don't do. Yeah. Um, and that sort of stuff is stuff that, I don't say it wipes out the other stuff, but I really do look for it in players. I look for players that hate, seem to really want to win the game, not just to look good or do their role or, you know, because he could just make his 200 metres every week and say, look how good I am, am I? But he drags his ass back on line breaks. Um, he plays those extra five or 10 minutes. And I do look at those things as well and see that he does have some lead by example leadership on an, in a field sense, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, it does. And yeah. like, that stuff's important. I mean, Finucane's a good yeah. one of that. Like for yeah, signed yes. by the Sharks. Yeah. Um, and people say he's not hes not very vocal and stuff. It's just about his performance yeah. on field. It's performance yeah. of training and stuff. So that that all has a really good place and it's really valid with Haas. And mm. look, Payne's performances on the field are unquestionable. Yeah. You know, I still rate him right at the top. The only things that I'd like to see him do, like the offload's one thing. Um, but He's starting um, to
1: a little bit now. But yeah, it'd be yeah he's to starting to see going. it. Yeah.
0: But the bigger thing to me is defensively, like he does make his tackles. I'd like to see he's got such good size and he's never tired. So <laughs> I'd expect a lot more aggression <laughs> out of him. You know, I want to yeah. see him get him hitting guys. I think that's the – probably that's – like people talk about Peyton Haas as not just yeah. a generational talent but one of the yeah. all-timers already – and to me, like that's a big that's a big gap for him if he wants to be talked about as one yeah. of the all-time great that's a front good point. in history. Yeah. His defense, mm. he's just not aggressive. And you know, he can he can do that, or maybe he can't, but that's a big hole for me. But look, I'm I'm happy to pay him if mm. I'm most clubs. Mm. Um the behavioral stuff with the roosters coming in, yeah. I sort of I'm not I'm not as keen as what you know his on-field mm. performances should be. But how do we solve this problem, Luke, of players, you know, asking for these upgrades. Because I tell you what, this this is really starting to push you on below where you've got a guy asking multiple times in the same contract years before it's going to be over. And you brought up in part one, um, the Americanization of some mm-hmm. things that is starting to happen in sport here and how some of it's not tolerated. It's a really big deal in, in things like the NBA in particular, where all of a sudden um, player power really tipped over where they controlled the sport. And it's still happening now. And next CBA, next collective bargaining agreement, the leg's actually going to come down really hard on the players because all of a sudden you now have players that sign a, a maximum contract extension where they get the most money that they have not earned. And uh, a year into a two years into a five year deal, are starting to look elsewhere. And then, you know, before year three even starts, you had Anthony Davis, um, NBA All Star, for those that don't know, demand a trade because and refused to play until he was traded. And he still had two and a half years left on his deal. You know, that's that's the sort of thing that we're starting to get towards here. And unfortunately, we've seen it in the NBA where if you let it tip too much, it becomes a massive issue because it's hard to get that power back. And it just, it, it kills clubs. It kills the game. Um, and it really, you know, you can't have players running everything. Um, and that's unfortunate what happens. How do you fix it, Luke? Well, to me, it's really simple. And it seems really simple with a lot of the stuff for the NRL, but they managed to make it really complicated. I've said, I've talked about contract rules before. Um, but one of the contract rules that should be in place should just be whatever contract you have registered with the NRL is your contract. It cannot change. Once the contract ends, you can register a new contract, end of. And I think that, you know, it, it's fair sometimes for someone to get an upgrade, maybe um, if they're on like 200 grand and they really, you know, deserve 600 grand. But the reality is that players like Payne Huss and his management are taking it so far now that it's almost like, all right, you spoiled off for everyone. You know, the only way to fix this is for us to have yeah. no contract changes.
1: Well, I think what I would do, is, it's only a variant of that, but I would say that you can't profit by leaving. So if Payne's on 800000 right, he's welcome to ask Brisbane for one and they're welcome to pay him one, but if he leaves that club, so if he signs for another club before 2024, he can't void the contract terms. He can't earn more than 800000 until the end of 2024 by leaving the Broncos. Like, I think that's what the rule should be. So for the term of that contract, if the Broncos want to upgrade it, they can because that's on them. And he can ask and whatever because, you know, go for your life. Go and ask him if they want to pay $10 million and they can say no. But they, they, he should not be able to pressure them in the sense that he can leave.
0: I like that If one. you're
1: so passionate about, you know, not, not to pick on your team, but if you're so passionate about playing for the Roosters next year, but you're contracted to Brisbane for two, and you want to sit out and not get paid until they go, you know what effort you can go fine. As long as you're not benefiting financially, if you want to be that big of a tosser about it, then fine, because it, no one will do it once there's no money in it. Cause that's the only reason they do it. Right. Like nobody's doing that ad because they're desperate to play for another club. They're doing it because they're desperate to get more money from that club. And if, if I think it would be a good rule, I'd just go, you're on, you're on contract for 600. The Broncos have now made mm. eight good luck to you. But if they hadn't, if they had a said six and they enforced it for the next three years, then no matter where you sign in the NRL, that's it. Like you're on six.
0: Well, yeah, I actually like this and I've brought it up for years that, um, very similar approach to you, but I've said, you know, if a, if a player moves, they actually pay a tax on it where it's actually 10% of what they're earning at the moment is the maximum they can go for. So if you're earning, you know, 800 K, then you know, you're going to be taking an 80K pay cut if you want to move. So that'll certainly test out whether it's Ooh. for family reasons or not um, and, and other reasons too. And by <laughs> yeah. the way, it will also stop other clubs um, underhand dealing, um, but it will also stop managers from going and trying to get more money, um, which happens sometimes as well. So you kind of get rid of that So, But that's that's if someone's mm-hmm. moving, right? Um, I don't know if it necessarily solves the whole problem because yeah. it's not going to stop the current club. And the problem is like, I don't even want... If you, if you take away a player and a manager's ability to even ask because it's against the rules, then it's not going to happen. Mm. And you're kind of protecting the club.
1: Well, I, I think it does, it does protect them a little bit, though, because there's no threat anymore. Like, at the moment, when he asked for a million you know, even though he's on contract, you know he can get out of it. Like, you know that they can force a situation. But I, I think the threat clean. for you,
0: though, is that he's going to not play well for two years and he's definitely going to leave at the end of it. And that's because Brisbane said no. Whereas if Brisbane can't ever answer the question and say no because it's not even allowed, then it's like, well, mate, you might be upset about your money. Yeah. We can't do anything about it. Sorry, that's the NRA rules. But you know what? At the end of this deal, if you play really well, we'll reward you
1: more on the next one.
0: Okay, so put in for the next two years.
1: That's true as well, but it just he asks the reason. The main reason they ask is because they can get it. Like he's asking for a million because he thinks that he can get that on the open market. But if he's if he is limited to eight on the open market now, period, Mm. because he signed the deal, he doesn't really have any leverage. It's just a beg. So you know, like it'd be. I just think it'd be nice if they left it open that they can increase. I don't like because I think there's actual reasons you might want to increase someone. It's not him, but it's at the other end. There are times where it would make sense for you to do a new deal. I'd like that flexibility. Of you know what would be good with that work? though? And this comes
0: into having a good manager. Like if you've got a good manager, like you should already be putting this sort of stuff in there. And some players actually do have this where you've got performance indicators where it's, especially if you're a young guy or if you're never, you never, know, if I play Origin, I I, I should get a $50,000 bonus. If yeah. I represent Australia, I should get this or whatever. Or if I play this many first grade games and there's parameters around that and stuff to make sure the club doesn't rule it. But you know what I mean? You know, you can, a player can put those parameters in place to sort of protect themselves. and, And a lot of clubs would be happy to do it, you know, um, and these are a lot of the arguments that that people give, you know, well when you sign that, con- when I signed that contract, I never, you know, I wasn't a New South Wales representative, wasn't it? If you put those parameters in your contract, then you've got no problem, right? Mm. You don't need to ask for rises because you've got those bonuses that are going to be in there. And that's probably something that I think the NRL, and we're going to wrap it up on this because we've talked way too much about paying hearts, but that's probably something, again, with all the NRL contract rules that they could put in place, is something else where you could have something like, you know, look. If you play state of origin football, you can have um, a bonus in your contract, and it's not part of the cap, mm. you know, or, or something like that. So it doesn't really mess things up, you know. But look, either way, I think we both agree that you know Payne House is a fantastic front rower. A million dollars is is too much money for most clubs, and either way, it's it's way too early for him to be asking. And it is going to be an issue in the NRL down the track. So whether they want to deal with it now when it's coming up or deal with it down the track, they're going to be dealing with it pretty soon because it can't keep continuing. The next topic, Luke, Um, this one is the current controversy about uh, a couple of weeks ago, Vlandy's came out and said, players are exploiting the ruck. They're exploiting the rules. We're going to have a crackdown to make players and coaches stop doing this. Um, The players and coaches are ruining the game. And Annesley has come out and said, you know, players and coaches need to stop trying to find loopholes. Um, They need to not do captain's challenges when they are supposed to. And all this type of rubbish... That is basically blaming players and coaches for the state of the game in regards to the rules. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna prepare everybody, including Luke. This is gonna be the Barnsley rant segment. I'm gonna absolutely tee off here because it has annoyed me more than anything else the last couple of months of rugby league. I cannot believe that the NRL, uh, from Vlandes to Abdo to Graham Annesley, are blaming the players and the clubs. And the coaches for the rules in the game, the NRL made these rules, okay? Or the, the, they will do the players and clubs and coaches will do whatever the rules and the NRL allow them to do on the field. So I, you've got complete control over the players as far as what I'm concerned. Let's let's go down at the ruck, right? Landy said that he's warning teams now. He's going to crack down on it, and there's going to be more six against. So, so stop doing it. Just do it. If you if you don't want players and clubs doing it, do it and take responsibility for it because you, the game, are the ones that are making the rules and enforcing them. Enforce them if that's what you want. Don't try and tell players and, and clubs and coaches not to play the game that you're allowing them to play. You're letting them do it. Captain's Challenge loophole. Luke, this one's a great one. It's, you know, the loophole's getting exposed because of players. No, it's getting exposed because the NRL made these rules and put them in place, and didn't think it through, and they're as clear as mud at the moment. Um, my biggest thing with all this, Luke, is to me the NRL at the moment under Vladdy's uh, is coming out constantly saying, you know, oh, you know, pl- people are, are writing in or saying that they're not happy with the results, they're not happy with the speed of the game, they're not happy with this, or the the um, the margins are, are too are too big, they're getting too wide, we need to fix it that is basically saying that you're trying to manufacture results. Like I'm not sure what the NRL is trying to manufacture here. Are you trying to tweak the rules every couple of months to try and get the results that you want? That isn't sport. Sport is good and bad teams. Sometimes teams are going to get flogged and sometimes other teams are going to get away with things. And that's sport. You know, we can't have 16 teams all first with a average one point differential in wins. It's not going to happen. Uh, But the biggest thing I'll finish on here, Luke, is the NRL is never transparent and clear. So you try and find the rules of the game or even how the judiciary works and all this stuff. You don't find it and it changes all the time. So, I, you know, I teed off in round one. The Roosters got um, cat ones, to, um, concussions from the bunker doctor on, on Radley and Billy Smith. And under those rules, they, they weren't allowed to come back. We haven't even heard about that again from round two onwards. It hasn't even happened again. We haven't even heard categories, I think, on a television broadcast, and nobody's been kept out of it really. Um, you know, so again, it's just these changing rules, and I can't even figure out half the time what they're talking about. So, you know, it's it, it, to me, it, it's utterly ridiculous that the NRL is blaming players, coaches, and clubs for rules that they have put in place. I think it's a massive cop-out. It's a massive scapegoat to blame someone else. At the end of the day, the NRL has changed that many rules the last few years and interpretations and criteria that they are constantly just chasing themselves to try and fix the mess that they've made themselves. Maybe I'm teeing off wrong, Luke. Maybe it is maybe it is the players and the coaches' faults. What do you reckon?
1: Uh, it's, it, 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 look, you've said most of it already, so I'm not just going to go over agreeing with it because I do agree with it. But I, my thoughts sort of i guess more sus- like succinctly covering the only thing that i think that perhaps you didn't say is like i i think there is one policy that they could change almost straight away that would get rid of a lot of the coach and players ability to do what they're complaining about which they always will do you're 100 like they're trying to win the game so if you tell a player you can sit on a guy for five seconds you sit on him for five seconds not four right like if i can tackle you and there's a five second right, like if that was the rule. you're, gonna do it, yeah, yeah, but you're allowed if, to if do you. It, yeah. If we were told that the tackle, the rut can last five seconds, I'm sitting on you for five, not four, right? Or I'm playing reserve grade. Um, mm-hmm. and everything else. And they need to get so I, I say that because what happens is a lot of the time, in while they're looking to be consistent, they come up with black and white rules. And black and white rules allow coaches and players to come up with ways to get around them. Um and when you don't do that and you actually go off enforcing the rules of the game, like you can't hang on too long on the ruck, and then you just eyeball it right that's a slow ruck. he's hung on too long he's gone back in there then you can penalize every slow ruck. but what they do now is they look for certain cues and and things that players are doing like at the moment it seems to be going back in if you put your hand in a second time you just get penalized um if you're and, and the, the best way i can explain that is the obstruction rule so at the moment, I will. I would, seriously, the Kieran Foran one in the Knights game, if people didn't see it, <laughs> my God, Kieran Foran picks out Kalen Ponga in the line. He, he goes on to Ponga, and at the last second, the ball passes Ponga, and it passes Frizzell, and it's a cutout pass. As it's a cutout pass, Frizzell comes through the line, and, Foran looks for Frizzell and shifts his body weight so that it hits his inside shoulder. He's run, Frizzell is running at Foran's outside shoulder. And, and seriously, Foran shifts his weight across so that Frizzell hits him on the right shoulder, his inside one, because the black and white rule is if you hit them on the inside shoulder, it's an obstruction. And if the rule was, was someone obstructed? You know, like, I know we would disagree on that. So you and I might watch one and have a different view. But if the rule was, did he obstruct anyone? then you can't milk that because it doesn't matter where you shift your weight or what loophole you look for. The video ref looks at it and makes a decision on whether someone was obstructed and they would say the ball is nowhere near it. Kieran Foran is three players in and the winger scores. Kieran Foran, the winger gets the ball 10 out and scores. You know, Kieran Foran can't come from Four in and get him. He hasn't really been, hasn't been obstructed. It doesn't matter which bloody shoulder Frizzell hit you know, then that's a try. But when you start saying you can't hit his inside shoulder, you get players, and he's not the only one. I'm not picking on him. It's happening all the time now. You get players that are making sure when a a guy runs through the line that they hit them on the inside shoulder. Their inside shoulder gets hit. They move their weight. And And that's what they're getting coached to do because they know that
0: that's going to get them the result under the rules.
1: Because, like, they should be. I'm actually getting really angry because O'Brien has come up with a night system saying we're going to be a tough side and we won't take a dive. So when anyone runs through the line, the Knights are refusing to hit the deck and do those flop penalties. They keep trying to stay on their feet and defend the Mm -hmm. play. And it's a really beautiful old school romantic theory, but I keep seeing plays. I'm like, we would get a penalty for this. What are you doing? Like, like lay down, like you're wrong. Like you're wrong to coach that way. Um, Hit the ground. And, And the obstruction rule is only one example, but multiply that by everything. If you say, when they said you can't, um, grapple tackle then people started chicken winging and when you couldn't chicken wing it was something else then something else and if you just say no crap in the tackle and you watch someone wrestling someone and it's awful and you just penalize it doesn't matter what it looks like that's just not a good look that you know that's okay and and you get rid of that and if you get rid of these black and white sort of things you are looking for and just enforce the rules of the game which in the basically the rule in the ruck is you can't stay on too long once that you've tackled the player you have to get off and if you let the referee just look Mm. at it and say Tyson Frazel has run over five blokes and carrying them on his back. They need to roll away straight away and they don't penalty. Or Tyson Frazel got hammered and is on he's been turtled, he's laying on his back and they're, you know, they're entitled to some time to get off him. No one can milk that situation. You can't come up with roundabout ways of coaching around that because basically if you win or lose the tackle, you have to live by the refs word and and to me that is a problem across the whole game in a search to try and be consistent and black and white with everything what you get is things that you can milk and things that you can just come up with ways around it and I don't think that that's good for the sport at all and I don't care if you and I come up with a different rule I don't care if you and I see an obstruction play and I said no he's not obstructed and you said it was and then you know I don't really care about that I'm happy for it to be a try or no try and we can argue about it but I can't live with black and white rules that let everyone it, what the coaches and players do does wreck the game but it's not their fault it's allowed by the rules that work and that's what i would do if i was coaching that's what i'd be coaching hit guys on the inside 100
0: percent. because <laughs> you need to win games yeah. you were paid to win games you're not paid to make it a good product
1: co- coaches <laughs>
0: lose their jobs yeah. like if you can win and it's a terrible product you don't care no, of, course not. Like a, of course not can you give away your grand final please luke because you know if you if you play yeah. this way you're going to lose but we'd like you to play this. no i'm going to win my grand final like the, the biggest thing with it that is so stupid is that in this striving for black and white, like you said, and it's a great point, that the black and white are the rules that we're striving for. They're doing it because they don't want controversy and arguments on decisions or people saying yeah. no, that's, that's a wrong, that yeah. you shouldn't have interpreted that or well, whatever. That's happening anyway. So you're getting nowhere. Oh, yeah. But what it is doing is that there is specific times where a referee or, you know, the NRL themselves know what a player's intention was or what they were doing there, but they have to stick to the black and white rules. So he knows he shouldn't be blowing a penalty, but he has to do it. So how do you fix that? You stop with the black and white rules, you know, once upon a time and, and some of the old timers and by old timers, I mean like anyone who's not 18 would probably remember that referees used to be able to referee. You don't need to fix rules. You don't need to implement new rules. You don't need to do all this stuff. We've bastardized the game the last 24 months in all these different rules and things that were never needed, you know, and now we're like chasing our tail as a game to try and fix all this stuff from the stuff that we've implemented ourselves as a game being the NRL. It's their fault. What you can do is really simply let referees referee, let them be people, make sure you've got good ones, but got a referee. And what do I mean by letting the referee? Well, you know, if there's an obstruction call, they should look at that and the person in the bunker should be good enough at their job and know enough about rugby league to say, I don't care that that was an inside shoulder. There is no criteria like that anymore. Yeah, he went on the inside shoulder, but it was five players in and literally 30 metres away from where the overlap happened. So I don't care about that. It had no effect on the play. In my opinion, the try still would have been scored. End of. Now, I would guarantee you get less argument about that than a black and white rule that says 30 metres away, David Klemmer took out somebody that wasn't even in the play and had no bearing on the try. So we're going to say it's no try. That's number one. Number two, when you're talking about referees being able to referee, we've gotten this really stupid habit this year of referees not just calling held, but then actually saying release. Now, in what what day and age of rugby league do you get a mulligan on not getting off a player? Like, held, release him now, Luke. Forget that. Like, call held, and if they don't get off, penalise them. You know, at the moment, players know they've got an extra three seconds until you say release, so they're going to hold on for that time.
1: But they, they do that—they lay on there and then look at you like I don't have to get off because you haven't told me to. And when they say release, then they take three seconds to get up. Because I'm like, well, you only just told me—you have got to give me time to get up. Once you said it, you have to give me. You know, they look—you see them look back at the ref. They're like, I know you've said it, but you have got to give me time to get out of the tackle now. And I no. Like, no, your time <laughs> was when once you hit the ground, mate. Like, um it's there was even one the other day it was sort of a cross section of that where um Klein penalized someone because the <laughs> the defender the defense was jamming this guy backwards and he was going back and back and back and they were pushing him back um along the ground they didn't pick him up they just kept shoving him and then he ended up penalizing them and they were like what's the problem And he said well you know a tackle is over once the defender has submitted as once the attacker is submitted and he went Where's that even and come from? Yeah. It, but but that's an, a rule. And you're like, no, a tackle's over when it's over. And when and when three people are jamming you backwards and you're getting hammered backwards and the crowd's whooping it up and they're flying back, the tackle's alive. The defend the attacker doesn't get to say, I'm held now. <laughs> like I've had <laughs> enough. So. Like, stop this, please. Like, I'm sick of being driven backwards. I'd like to play the ball here. Thank you. But as ludicrous as the rule is anyway, it's this black and white thing. Everyone knows the tackle's not over and everyone knows that the try on Thursday was a try and the forum wasn't going to stop it. So yeah, we'll have arguments and you and I will sit here and debate whether the obstruction was the right call or not under a discretion system. But what we don't have is it complete embarrassing mm. like screw-ups where we're like, we have a rule that disallows a try when everyone knows it's a try. Like That's an actual joke because we're like, this is just loop a system. Like we all know... That no one was stopping, like that guy couldn't have saved a try. Yet we're going to pull it back as if he was. That's what is a joke, right? Like that's an actual, like that's a comedy. It's it's not um, a debate over an interpretation. Oh, 100%. It's like the game is stupid, and we look. You could have the
0: most black and white game in the world, and people are still going to debate it in the pub because that's sport, right? And you want to yeah. encourage it, you know? Like that that is sport as long as it's not terrible, embarrassing rulings, like what Luke said. You, you need that in sport, and it's always going to be there. Like when you're talking about the ruck stuff. All the, all the referees have to do is call Held earlier, and that's part of controlling the game, right? Like, I, I've seen so many times, like, people binge about Melbourne, right? And, like, they do get away with a bit, and I, I think they do, but they're also allowed to have a third man wander in behind two guys holding someone who's not going anywhere and, and find a spot to be able to get him down. Like, call Held. That for the, Again, it is. Villani's went on two weeks ago saying he's going to be a crackdown on, on Ruck and he's going to start sin people and whatever. Control the ruck yourself. Just call held. Call held quicker. Mm. Call held when the tackle is over. And that is up to the referee. It isn't up to the players to decide that it is up mm. to the ref. And when you call held, once players are conditioned to know that when you call held you have to get straight off and if you don't you're gonna get penalized, that is fine and they'll learn very quickly because they'll oh, do exactly agree, what yeah. you what you were what you were referring them to do. And the other thing with the penalties, Luke, is the, the, the loophole in the challenge at the moment, it's stop exploiting the loophole by, by laying on <laughs> a player to get a penalty, so play stops, so you can captain's challenge. You know who brought in the captain's challenge? The NRL. You know, you're worried mm. about too many stoppages in the game when you brought in a captain's challenge to make stoppages. You knew this was going to happen. Like, mm. not only have you brought it in, but you're blaming players for doing something that you can control as well. Well, how do you control it if the players don't, you know, do it themselves? You don't rely on the players. What you do do is, okay, I don't care that that's meant to be a six again infringement um, or, or that's meant to be a penalty or whatever. I know exactly what you've done there. So in my opinion, you know, you've laid down Luke in that tackle on purpose to try and do a captain's challenge. That is illegal. You don't get your captain's challenge and you're going to the bin.
1: You know? Yeah, I agree. I I think they should do that. It's, um, yeah, because at the moment I was yelling at the knights to do it the other week. Like we got oh, a real stinker of the call, and I'm like, "lay on him, yeah. lay on him, lay on him." I'm not thinking, "oh no, for the good of the game, let's let it flow." I'm like, "we're going to, we need the ball back. It's like nil all, and we're you know under the pump, and they're about to get a tackle on a one." I was like, "sit on him." They will definitely get this. But it right. happens and at the
0: end of the half as well, like, right? Like yeah. at the end of a half, there's thirty seconds to go. You always see six oh. again, and it's like, no, don't give there a six yeah. Penalize it yeah. so they can kick up field or go for a goal because you know what will yeah. stop that happening when the team is 10 metres out with 30 seconds to go because you gave away a penalty and you get roped off and put in reserve grade next week for being an idiot, which is what used to happen, or a team yeah. in a 10-all 10, 10 game at half-time and the stroke of the bell gets to put over a conversion attempt because they got given a penalty because you did that on purpose and it's not going to be a six again. Like, the rest yeah, should have this I control. Agree.
1: With the Ruck one, you know what I think would... We talk about... But you know what I think would make a really big difference, and I wish they... They won't do this, but I wish they would, is that I think... Call held earlier, like you said, is right. But I think when you call held, they should actually immediately like literally have to roll away. Yep. Um, and the reason I think that is that because so you don't wait for the rest call. So if I tackle you, it's in my interest to get to marker, because if I'm on the ground on you and you call held, if I literally have to just be out of the ruck immediately, then there's no marker. Yep, exactly. So and it's what used to should happen. Be the, yeah, held should be like me warning you get off this second, not now you can start to get off it's like you have to now be out of the ruck the second i finish so you have if i haven't heard the held call what that is is time to rush to marker and if i don't get there and you can be more lenient with that you can call held later than than under your theory where you call it you can call it a bit later because it's like the final warning it's like get off i've literally about to penalize you if you don't move and you need to roll away and have no markers so that i think the goal under that sort of system would be as soon as you tackle someone you need like like the goal is to get to marker quickly mm. so you're not screwed by the by the rule. Uh, it's not to hold the player down, it's actually to make sure you got markers in place because there's nothing worse in rugby league than not having markers. It's just about the worst thing that can happen to you. And again like you um, can let the referee decide this, right? Get to marker, get to marker. And and that that needs to be the focus like not how long can we get the player down, can we get to marker quickly? Um, and but again, it's just the referees can work on all this. That are tweaks you can make, but the referees just need that we need to move away from the black and white, black and white things. Let people get around stuff. That's all, and and that's most rule changes. That's what I think of straight away. I'm like, oh, we should do this. So I bet mm-hmm. your teams do that um the, the six in again last year the six again rule the second they brought that in the first thing i said to my mate was like i'd hold everyone down on the try line and just give away sixes against because a slow set i don't care if i have to make 10 tackles if you have to make them 5 10 meters out from your try line i'll make 10 tackles that's heaps better than letting you get to the 40 meter yeah. line in five i would hold you down all day and then it happened and everyone was like oh that was cynical and we have to change it and i'm like how could you not see that was going to happen like anyone in your football could tell that was going to happen, as if you wouldn't.
0: Yeah, and a like, lot of people said like, that at the time as well. I mean, the other yeah, thing that it yeah, does too do is it we blame the referees a little bit, but it's really what they're being instructed to do. And I think that it's made their job really hard because at the moment, oh, they've got to remember all these yeah. rules. and They have to do it exact right. Like they have to black and white say these rules and, and implement them. So you have a referee that if you allowed him to be a, a proper referee, he would have a feel for the game. And that's what we're lacking at the moment now, adjudication of a game of football. We have no feel for the game in the adjudication. And that is subjective. So a referee isn't able to sit there and and go, or I think that that person's lying on it's a penalty. They have to make sure that they're going through their process of whatever it is. And Mm. that's really hard. Like in a game of footy, when you're a ref that's fatigued and stuff, and you're actually just memorising basically a handbook of regulations and criteria you have to implement, it is a lot harder when your brain is automatically saying to yourself, "Or oh, in a football way, this is what it should be or I know football, I know what's happening here. But I have to rule it a different way. You know, that's very hard for a referee to get their head around. You
1: almost it. need a law book. We're, we're getting to the point where you need a law, like you need a book, like you almost like could stop the game and get the lawyers to debate the rules <laughs> on the ground mid-game. Like it's not it's not that far off. Like having a lawyer on each team come on and go, okay, we'll underrule this point that, then actually hit his inside shoulder, not his outside. So that should be overturned. Like it's not that far we away. Yeah, that far away. It, like it's being satirical, but that's where it goes. And that's why like what you're saying about it being hard for the refs. That's why. They're trying to remember all these technical weird points instead of just being like well was someone obstructed you know was it too slow no, not did he do this and that was the ruck too slow did they get off quick enough or not like penalty no penalty get on with it that's done and and that's you know and that that is all stuff you can just do without having creating these nooses for your own neck that they do at the moment and then blaming someone else
0: and as the NRL, Abdo, vlandis they all need to get their head out of the sand and take some responsibility and understand that a game that's stripped back and allows some subjectivity and the referees to actually be referees that know this sport and know rugby league is going to be a much better product than trying to keep implementing bad rules and then blaming other people for it. It is all on the NRL at the moment as far as I'm concerned, but let us move on to another bit of a controversy, I um, mean, this is in the past round, Kyle Flanagan. Now, Everyone was up in arms that Kyle Flanagan got picked for the Bulldogs. Um, I don't, I made the comment on Twitter actually, because really Fox Sports were the main ones that were up in arms. And I made the comment on Twitter that that week for around those round five selections, if Kyle Flanagan wasn't picked, it would have been another round of media going, why isn't Kyle Flanagan getting picked? What does he have to do to get picked? And because he did get picked, it was, why are you picking Kyle Flanagan this week? Don't you have any duty of care for him? And the duty of care word, I have to say, really irked me because There was a lot of stuff being manufactured by Fox and I'm going to call it out because, you know, this podcast is meant to be about honest opinions, no bias or anything. And I think that Fox is extremely biased because you have a media company there that employs his father. For one thing that is on the commentary team and, and gets on the panel and whatever
1: wish they'd stop employing his father <laughs> Got his but go on
0: <laughs> but, i mean that's one thing but i mean it, it is just it, it's silly that the narrative would have been the reverse and they would have printed that instead right but as far as this whole duty care thing goes you know they, they a couple of the points that has been made about it before he was selected one is they're playing penrith you know you can't select in to play penrith the poor kid. Paul kid has been in first grade for three or four years now, by the way. And if you're losing football games and you need to win, it doesn't matter who you're playing that week. It isn't under sixes where you're not going to play the little kid for too many minutes against, you know, the biggest team in the comp. It is the NRL. Cole Flanagan is a professional athlete being paid $500,000 a year to be a football player. He can play any week that they need him, which brings me to the next point. Uh, he hasn't even been training with the first, first string team. Well, no, duh, because he's a third string halfback in the team. What do, you, do you want five halfbacks training with the first grade side running the plays for that weekend when they're not going to play? You can argue as much as you want that Alvarillo and Wakeham were, were worse options, and they probably were, but they were the first two choice options in front of Flanagan. So, of course, he wasn't training with the first grade team running through the plays and everything else. Finally, if you ask Kyle Flanagan, hey, mate, do you want to not play first grade or would you like a shot at it? I'm going to say that Kyle Flanagan definitely wants a shot at being able to play first grade. So the whole duty of care thing to me is nonsense. Um, the Bulldogs are losing games by the week. They need to, if they've made mistakes in their selections in the past, they need to change them. That's all that they did as far as I'm concerned. And I just, found it absolutely ridiculous and, and really quite hypocritical of Fox on how they tried to turn that story around of Flanagan getting selected to, to it being a real big negative and something they shouldn't have done.
1: Yeah, I think they were just giving a crutch. So if he played badly, they'd have got ahead of that. Um, it sort of made it impossible for the Bulldogs to drop him now for this week. Um, you know, like, honestly, like it, it was so, like, there's people who wouldn't care, like there's a Wayne Bennett and people who can drown them out and say, I don't care what they say. But for most clubs, and maybe Gould's like that, to be honest, but most clubs would now basically be painted into the corner of not dropping him for a few weeks. Um, but other than that, I just think it's silly. Like it was just filling air with nonsense. Like, um, I I felt a bit bad for Flanagan, actually, to be honest. I mean, I neither I uh, did too, because I don't think that
0: he yeah, would have had that opinion. Of like course he would have wanted, wanted
1: to play. play. I, I don't like or dislike him. i genuinely don't have any opinion on him personally. Um, I don't think he's as talented a player as as was mooted, but I, I don't also think that he's you know, I think he's better than he's shown at the Bulldogs um thus far. I think that's been a hard, you know place to play halfback at right um but but on a personal I just felt sorry for him because I was like I can almost guarantee you he, he wanted to play um and you take your chance when you get it I mean like I'm, I'm I play cricket locally and I was uh, play a bit of first grade and play a lot of second grade um and when I've got called up to first grade it's usually because we're gone quite badly and I've been called up a few times to play like absolutely stacked teams that are probably going to resold me straight away because I'm a second grader. And I never thought about saying no. Like I wasn't like, I don't want to play this game because we'll get rolled and I'll be back in second grade. I was like, hell yeah, I want to play. Like this is my chance to put my name forward. And, you know, if I go well, I'll get to stay there. Like I'm not in there now and I want to be. And that's most people in sports attitude that I, I don't think I've ever played sport with or, or watched or heard about an athlete that doesn't think that way at a local level or a professional level. Like when you get a chance to go up a, up a level, to where you're at, you're like, I want it because I'm not there now. So, all that can happen is I go well. It's my chance to prove myself. And if I don't go well, well, I'm just back where I am now. Like, what, what's lost?
0: And and he played decent. And now he's got a spot in the side yeah. this week, which I think did he earn? Like, I don't yeah. think that he would have well, got it, dropped So, I it's mean, it's
1: just, it, it's just, I felt bad for it. It was just creating this because it makes him sound like he's this prima donna. And I don't know that he was doing any of it. Like, I just think he got picked at halfback they, by all reports. And you can only go off what you're told that he's trained hard and worked on it and not complained. And he got picked. And then all of a sudden, all this coverage. Makes it feel like it's about him and that his camp's doing this and that. I don't necessarily think they were. No, I, I don't. it not But yeah. that's what the image creates. It creates this sort of, you know, he's too precious to play against Penrith sort of dynamic when it doesn't seem like that's fair.
0: And he was also
1: just, like just stupid. That he was, was also weird. killing it in second grade.
0: Like this is a this is how cynical it was from Fox as mm. well. Uh, Flanagan was playing really good football in second grade. And, like, you're playing really good football because you want to break into the first-grade side. Like, and if yeah. you're a good football club and you have someone in a position that's not performing well and you've got a guy killing it in reserve grade, there's pressure on you to put that guy in, especially if you're losing yeah. football games. And that's all it comes down to. And, look, I don't blame Kyle Flanagan for any of this at all. It was silly by the media. I think it's ridiculous. And I don't think it's founded whatsoever.
1: Um, but off will it- no, you just uh, You just want every chance you can get, though. Like, I mean, seriously, like, But you know what a good example of it is? And he might have to pull out yet, but have a go at Adam Clune at Newcastle this week. He needs surgery on his knee and he's refusing to have it basically indefinitely and trying to not even miss this game because he knows he's not a star player. He's not a guy on a big deal. He's not a guy that has played a lot of first grade and he doesn't want to give anyone else the chance to play halfback, even for a week. Like if he can get up and he's going to delay the surgery because he's like, this is the time I have right now to be a first grade halfback. And if I nail it, I stay. And and that, I think, would be most people's attitude. Like Flanagan, the same sort of thing. You're not going, oh, pick someone else for Penrith and I'll see if I can get picked another game. Like, this, <laughs> this is my chance. chance. Yeah. Nobody nobody is taking my chance off me. And that that's, especially for guys who aren't super, like guys that are fighting to get a spot, that's what you expect will be their attitude. And it, it's, you know, just goes, almost goes without saying that that's going to be an attitude of a guy fighting for a spot. Like, I, it, it, it's almost like, I just don't know how it got that much. It, it got it's a lot. Spooky. It was really
0: weird. And the other thing, too, yeah. is that, um, look, I've kind of mentioned this before. And look, I'm not, I'm not, even though it sounds like it maybe, I'm not blaming Flanagan for this, but I've never seen anyone in the game given as many excuses and crutches and being dealt with with such cotton wool and no negativity as what Kyle Flanagan has been. Like, it borders on dishonesty. Like, because it's making out like he's this superstar player, which he's never proven. Like, he's never proven he's an NRL player. And you can say, oh, well, the Bulldogs should have started him, maybe. But, like, he got a crack at it for a while and he wasn't that good. The Roosters gave him a good crack and a good side and he got dropped there. Like, it's it's nothing against Flanagan because there's plenty of really good players and good people that just were fringe first graders. We don't know that Flanagan isn't that. And people act like he's getting thrown to the wolves, like he's an 18-year-old rookie coming out of the old Toyota Cup or something. He's he's played rugby league at NRL level for like four years. You know, he's in he's approaching his mid-twenties soon. He's not an eighteen-year-old kid that's never played before. So I just found it really amusing. But let's move on. Um I need to mention the great sponsor of the All-Stars podcast, Top Sport, at this point. You can go to topsport.com.au or download their app and have a look. It is 100% Australian-owned bookmaker with fantastic service, great odds in market. You can't just get NRL markets on there. You can even do NRL fantasy markets as well. Uh, If you like the racing, they've obviously got the best odds in market as well, and NBA playoffs start this week. Fantastic odds there. You could get $1.38 this morning on the Brooklyn Nets, and they were $1.28 on Sports Bet to give you a bit of a comparison. So, certainly jump on Top Sport if you like to have a punt, but do it responsibly. Use our promo code for this podcast, SC All Stars, to make sure that they know that you're one of our listeners and they'll take great care of your Top Sport. Next one, Luke, is suspension madness with Sin Mins on the rise. Now, in the past week, um, or I should say, start off with the stats. All right. So far in this year, we have 0.7 sin bins a game. We have a 250% increase on sin bins over the same period a year ago, uh, and we have a lot of controversial tackles. And I feel like that you know f- five years ago the controversy with some of these tackles would have been penalized, whereas now they're getting sin bin and then suspended. So certainly there was a couple of really big examples. Um, one was Junior Paulo's, which was a huge one. Um, so Junior Paulo on on Brimson didn't just get penalised, got sin-binned, and now has also copped a, a one-game suspension because if he challenged it, it would have been two games. Uh, I, my opinion on it was I thought it was a, a, a pretty good tackle. Um, the initial contact was shoulder-to-shoulder. Shoulder. I know it's been argued that he made contact with the head. Yeah, sure, plenty of tackles make contact with the head after the first impact, um, and I think that's what is important. Um, it wasn't huge contact with the head, in my opinion. He got up grabbing his shoulder, the biggest thing for me, though, is that we used to argue about this being a penalty or not, um, and you sort of cop the penalty but begrudgingly, but now it's like they don't just get penalised, they get sinned in and they're going to get suspended. That was massive overkill and Paulo for me. The other one that really irked me, which, you know, people will probably have a go at me about, was the JWH penalty um, where he, he grabbed the the leg while he, of the marker um, and Ryan James but, you know, people say he took a dive. Maybe he didn't, but either way, he was fine afterwards and it wasn't really that much impact or anything else. Now, um, a lot of people have quoted this last week about um, you know, not being able to touch the markers. Every single game, there's touching in the markers. So, I mean, if you, want to, if you want to blow 50 of those penalties a game, that's fine, but you don't just pick out that one and be pedantic about it um, and then also put him on report, which is the thing that irked me the most. Actually got put on report So, look, to me, Luke, we're getting real suspension and sin bin happy at the moment. I think that's really prevalent. Um, And it's almost like we want to turn penalties into suspensions and sin bins for some reason. I don't get it. I don't think that what you're trying to achieve with it is going to work either, which I'm assuming you don't want any of these things happening, but the JWH incident happens every game. What do you make of all of this with the big rise in the sin bins and the type of suspensions that we're seeing the last couple of weeks?
1: Um, uh, I've already said this on this podcast, so I'm not going to go over the whole thing again. But if you don't like it with the Paulo one, if you think that's a sin bin, go and watch something else. Because like, if you don't like watching men hit each other hard and tackle each other hard and you don't like basically some level of violence, then you don't watch because that's what rugby league is. That was a fair tackle. We put rules around it and the rules are about, not having thuggish stuff and about not being, you know, intentionally hitting people on the head and not tackling them carelessly in the head, you know, and things like that, not diving at their knees. But that was none of those things. It was a hard tackle. It was a good tackle. And it, it, he was penalised because he hit him too hard.
0: And that's such a um, rugby league thing the last a, five years. isn't it? Like if you hit someone aggressively yeah, it, or hard, hit him too hard and, and they're mm. down, you, the referee just feels compelled to penalise them for some PR exercise, which is an absolute joke. You know, people are going to get hurt. They're the, going the to get go down. The same thing,
1: yeah. The same thing happened at the start of the Knights game. Marty DePauw went down like he'd been shot. And nobody to this day is aware of what Chris Randall got put on report oh, for. No, that was, that was uh, ridiculous. It was off the kickoff. And, and I, I only heard the commentary later because I was at the ground and I was just yelling it like, what for? I'm watching the replays and I'm like, he's A, grabbing his shoulder mm. by the look of it, um, not his head. And B, there's no contact with his head. And everyone watching is like, well, what's he on report? Like, What is he on report for? Like, he's on report, but for what? Like it, it needs some level of explanation as to what you're on the and Not surprisingly, it hasn't been suspended. Um, but um, by the way, that's another one for the inconsistency of the rules because Marty didn't get made to go for a HIA, and it was like we well, stayed down for neither did minutes. Brimson on the Paulo um, shot. Brimson never went. No, so so they they stayed down, and someone's apparently murdered them in the head so hard they have to leave the field. Um, you know, like in Paulo's case or in Randall's case, he's been put on report for clobbering a guy in the head who can't get up, but somehow they don't have to. Be checked for head assessment. So, um, side issue. But look, my, my basic: I'm not going to go to town on it again because I've already done it on here. Rugby league involves hard contact and physical aggression and, and violence. Um, if people don't like that, that's cool. But don't watch it. And then the NRL needs to stop worrying about what soccer mums think of Junior Paulo's tackle. They won't like it. They'll think it's nasty, but cool. They're not your audience. Your audience are people who actually do enjoy. Um, and not, we're not talking about Neanderthals, but you're allowed to enjoy the physical elements of rugby league. And some people do. And that is their core base of fans. And their core base of fans love tackles like that. We we will see tackles like that on the highlight reels for next year. People talk about them for years afterwards. People enjoy it. And that's who watches the sport and stop trying to court soccer mums by taking it out of the game. There was nothing wrong with it. And I'm just going to stop or I'll keep going. <laughs>
0: well, it's, it, it almost is at a point now where you eliminate you're eliminating aggressive or hard tackles out of the game. And that completely tears at the fabric of rugby league for me. Like, And I would be worried if I was a Ford, I would be worried about hitting guys hard at the moment because we've now put a line in the sand. Mm. Well, we don't even know where that line is. You're kind of just in the sand looking for it and you can't even see it. But the worry is that if you hit someone hard, it doesn't even matter if it's in the head anymore. You're still going to be in trouble if they stay down or they get hurt and they'll find something like Mm. they are that pedantic with some of this stuff that they will find something. And it, it is a real worry to me because you can't have a game of rugby league where you're not allowed to hit people hard, and where if somebody goes down, you're going to get penalised because it's just a joke. And- well, it just creates
1: this dissonance where you've got you're going to have coaches blowing up that their front rowers won't be physical with the other team, but then their front rowers get physical with the other team and get criticised for getting it wrong when they're hitting them hard. And you know what I mean? Like it's it's one you're either waving teams through your middle, or you've got to cheer them up and hit them hard. And if you're not, if you're, all of a sudden you can't hit them hard unless you're hitting him in the waist or something. Then what can you do? Like Brimson's a little player running through the middle. You should jam the hell out of him for running there. That's the that's the sport. That's your job. The sport is that he tries to get through there and tear you up, and you make it miserable for him if he gets it wrong. That that's the, that's the whole sport is that little guys trying to break you open and big guys going well. If you're going to, you're going to pay a price. Like you've got to be brave to do this. It's not touch. It's
0: <laughs> the other thing that came up with that too is that it was a little guy, right? And some of the commentary on it, not all of it, but some of it- was oh, but he's like 125 kilo, you know, prop forward on a on a mm-hmm. half. Who cares?
1: That's that's the point. <laughs> well,
0: you got to you got to you change your force level or how you tackle someone based on the number on their back. But or the that's size why of the Brimson player.
1: ran there because he was 120 kilo. Like, little guys running. Exactly, run near big he was trying to, to beat them. him on the. Yeah, L- yeah. yeah. That, that's what that, that's what they're doing. Like they look for big guys because that's how they score points. Like Brimson runs at guys just as quick as him. He doesn't ever score. Like he scores by getting around big guys. Um He scored a ripper the week before. He just ran through. Um, I forget who they were playing, but just need the kickoff, he just scooted away, got outside a big man and just went 80 metres and set him up under the post. But you've got to pay a price. It's the opposition. Your job is to say, he's dangerous. He's going to run the ball. So we've got to make him not want to run the ball. We've got to make him pay. If he wants to come through here, he's going to get hit and hit and hit. Um, and it's, yeah I, yeah, I don't even want to go on about it. It just frustrates me too much. It's, I'm, all, I'm really conscious of player safety. I really am. I fully support going hard at people who get people in the head with initial contact, and if they get them in the head with non-initial contact, like I can cop penalties and stuff like that, we need to discourage taking those risks. But the, the, he didn't hit anyone in the head, and, and it was just he just smacked him, and they didn't like it for some reason. They're like, "It's too hard. You tackle him too hard."
0: Well, much like the the rules that we're talking about before, um, I mm. I just think that this flows onto it where none of these rules connect right. Like they don't they don't work. Like you've got a Paulo tackle that wasn't really a head-high shot, but it's getting treated like that and he's getting binned and sin-binned. You've got other tackles that are worse that nothing's happening with. Mm. You've got JWH getting his marker thing, which, you know, you're getting other people not called for it. And you have these sin-bins, weirdly, like the Sewell ones before with the late shots. None of it marries up to the actual rules. And everybody, including players, I think, is scratching their heads saying, what are the rules? Because I don't get it. And Mm. the NRL isn't transparent or clear on them and it, nothing connects in the game of rugby league the last few rounds nothing connects with each other as far as rules and consistency and we cannot live with a 250% increase on sin bins and almost one a game happening uh, when most of them are just ridiculous and we cannot live with people like Paulo getting you know suspended for good tackles you know basically yeah. uh, and 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 you raise the um the concussion rules like they didn't even flow on into any of this when they were supposed to
1: Oh, that, that's one of the worst bits about it. If concussion was so big an issue that we had the magic round crackdown and all those bins and everything last year. How can people be getting put on report in the case of Randall and getting sin binned in the case of Paulo? And that not have that player go for a head assessment. And that's the biggest thing. You said that he violently attacked you. You have said you so violently got that guy in the head that you can know you have to have 10 minutes out of the game. Or in Randall's case, you need to be referred to the judiciary for a discussion of how badly you broke the rules to possibly be suspended for high contact. And but the player that is hit doesn't need his head checked. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Kurt Mann had one the other, I was blowing up, everyone was booing Marty all game at the Knights <laughs> one, every time he ran the ball, we're like, it's not that it's his fault, but everyone's just like, well, he looks all right to me, And but you're going, like, I was just in the gun, Kurt Mann got his testicles checked. For HIA two weeks ago. Oh, I remember and, that one. And bloody yeah. Randall's on report for a high tackle, and their front rower is allowed it it didn't go off. And you're like, what what's what's doing here? But anyway, I digress.
0: <laughs> it is just an absolute shambles. And to finish up on it, I don't think 90% of real rugby league fans want to see any of this. They want to see the polo hits and they want to see rugby league played like rugby league. And the most ironic thing about all this is that the NRL secretly wants that as well, but they kind of don't understand because next year when they go out and try and find their highlight reel for their marketing campaign or its State of Origin Series in a couple of months' time, half the stuff they show is going to be big hits, and they're going to have to start going back in the history vault and taking it from 10, 20 years ago because they're going to run out of them because players aren't allowed to hit people anymore. It is ridiculous. Luke, I'm going to give you your chance at ranting. Daly M points is the topic, and I'm just going to go away you go, Luke Garrity.
1: All right, I'm going to try and keep it short, but the Dal- the M points, I-, I make a point sometimes of checking it and I never should because it just makes me very, very, very angry. They have got to overhaul this. The-, the-, the game on the weekend where the Raiders played against the Storm is the latest example of just the complete disgrace of that system um, and allowing random X-Legends to vote on the game. Um, Blocker Roach awarded Ryan Pappenhausen two points in that game. Um, Ryan Puppenhausen is a wonderful player uh, in this game. Just for an idea, he scored 39 supercoach points for a try. I, I know that's not the end; it doesn't say everything, but it's not a bad marker that he didn't do all that much, right? 20 of them were goals and a try, so he had 20 points in goals and 17 in a try. That's like 37 of his 39 points. He for the game he had he had 10 minutes off the field for a HIA. He missed a tackle for a try. He kicked the ball dead. He conceded a penalty and he made three errors. Now one website counts three, one counts zero because all the all of the errors were him passing it into someone's hip or into touch, and they sometimes give the error to the player who touched it last, not him. But they, they were all his and they were given. Um, he made three tackles and missed three tackles. He made no line breaks. He made zero tackle bus. No tackle bus, no line breaks, no try contributions, no try assists and scored a try backing up in the middle off a a line break. So, you know, they went through and he's a fullback, he backed up and scored under the post. He's ordered two points. Cameron Munster didn't get any. Cameron Munster ran for 160 metres, he had two try assists, six tackle bus, four offloads and two line breaks. In a victory in that in that game, he didn't get a single point in that com- in that contest. Harry Grant didn't get a single point in that contest. He scored a try. He had a try contribution. He had six tackle busts. He made twenty-seven tackles. He had a line break. He had an offload, and he had thirteen points in hit ups, like in Super Coach terms. So, like he had like you know six. He had more. He had as many runs as Pappenhausen did. Didn't score a point. And and to me, like it's just it's such a glaring one that it just shows how stupid this system has actually gotten. Um, I'm gonna be fair and, and I before I roast block a roach for that one, I will also say <laughs> I, I took the time to see if anything else was off. I'll tell you what else was off. Andrew Johns didn't give any points to Tony Staggs, um, not even a one in the loss <laughs> on the weekend. Um fair income. As a Roosters oh, fan, I still think that that's his, that is absolutely abysmal. Tony's was like he was on absolute fire. Like, Like, he could have. Like, it's the kind of performance he could have got. Like, he could have ended up getting the Churchill in a losing grand final or something for that. He was that good. Like, yep. Yeah, he, a, he played you know, very, very fantastic. well. He had to get a point. Like, I understand not giving three to a losing team. I, I, you know, I really do. But mm. he had to get a point, point. And, and and these sorts of things have been happening for way too long. So I was at the Penrith-Newcastle game in Bathurst the other week, and, and Isaiah Yeo, who was having a wonderful season, um, and had two, three points already in the first two games. He went three and three against Manly St George. In the Newcastle game, he in that game, he got the third lot of three points in a row as some sort of just clearly people riding the momentum of the first two. Penrith put on 30-plus points in that game. Taylor May had two or three tries. I'm happy to be corrected on which it was. We had two or three tries. Um, you know, the, the centre inside in Targo had two or three try assists and a try. Um, Isaiah Yo in that game made 33 tackles. He had two tackle busts and he had nine hit-ups, nine hit-ups. He had no offloads, no try assists, no try contributions, no tries, nothing. Just 33 tackles and nine runs in a game where they put on 30-plus points in the in the contest and have, you know, guys scoring two and three tries on one side of the field, a try inside with two assists, and quite a lot of it. They played against 12 for 60 minutes they had guys do a lot with the ball. It, that's just it's that it's not even a good game. Like he just didn't do anything. He's a wonderful player but he did nothing. We got to the end and I was like yo was quiet today. He's got 53 super coach points by the way in, in that game. And and then my mate goes, "Yeah, no he got 3 dummy." And you're going, "What?" It's just uh, the the system they've got at the moment is they let they let anyone basically do it. They let blocker roach do it. You know, I love blocker. Shouldn't be anywhere near judging anything. Um Joey's not all that good at it either. He's, he's quite poor. They need to come up with a system where a small number of trusted people that know what they're doing can judge these games because it's just got totally out of hand. It, it Historically, the two worst ever I've seen, uh, the Appeside Coruscant one where um, Ruan Sims got sacked because Manly... I, I was, was about to bring time. that one up, yeah. Yeah, they lost by 30 points and he played 50 minutes at Hooker and she gave him two points and then admitted to not watching the game. Um and, and that was a shocker. But the other one that people never talk about is, and it's the day I started tracking this by looking at every now and again, I look at it to see if I can catch anyone out, is Brett Finch was allowed to do Melbourne games. Oh, anyone yeah. had ever yeah. heard Brett Finch wank on about Cameron Smith and everything. It was appalling. Like he played with them. He shouldn't have been allowed to vote on the games, right? Anyway, like that seems to me that he, he, it got taken off them, but he won a comp with those players. He shouldn't be allowed to judge their, their games. But there was a game where Cronulla were the defending premiers and played against the Melbourne in the rain and, and Cronulla won it in awful conditions. They won it 8-4, something like that. And Melbourne didn't score a try. They kicked two penalty goals. Cameron Smith got two points. And I just remember it forever because I looked at it and said, the, the spine player, the, the best player in their spine, who is in charge of running their attack and basically winning them games and scoring points, led a team to A, lose the game and B, conjured no tries, none, in the whole contest and has scored two points in a losing team. Like, his team didn't score any tries at all. Not only did he not contribute to them with the last pass or whatever in a try and he just, they didn't, he couldn't score in the whole 80 minutes. And that is happening way, way too often all of the time and we put far too much prestige into the award given how poorly it's judged. We, we just shouldn't judge it right. and 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 it does have an impact because... I'm sorry, Jack White wasn't the best player in the competition two years ago. And I'd love to know how many times guys like Blocker gave him three points mm. and clearly missed out. Like, we just know he wasn't the best player in the competition. He had a great year. He's a really good player. Was he the best player in the comp that you know? It's not rewarding often enough who the best player in the comp is. And it becomes one of two things it becomes just guys who genuinely have no idea what they're doing, making absolute hot takes. Like, no one could watch Puppenhausen have played last week and think that he was the best in the top two players on the field or deserved to poll at all. It's the worst game, not the worst game he's had all year. It's the quietest game he's had, had a year. He just did nothing good. He, he didn't play badly, just did nothing good. There's loads and of examples it, like it's, throughout it, the years. It's, it's shocking, it is. And we, you can't have them judged in that way and then treat the awards seriously it, it, it's just got really out of hand but the other one is not only that it's momentum and the momentum thing comes into the Pappenhausen thing and it's why I raised Yo is that Yo went 3-3 three, three, and people are like there's people out there who are not strong enough in watching the game what they're seeing that just start to go everything that Yo did is like oh geez he's had another good game Yo three points because they just didn't know who to give it to, mm. um, and 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 this one's the same. Blocker's going through, and he's like, "Oh, Papa having a great year. He scored four tries last week. Scored again this week. Two points." It's this momentum thing where the award all, award almost gets determined by how much momentum you can build in the media for the fact that you're going well, um, and Stags is not going well and is having a bad year. So we just didn't poll. They watched the game and they they forget <laughs> what he did this week. It's just not his year, right? He's not playing well, and. It's um, a good way of judging That's the fact that all the Melbourne guys managed to win ones at different times is that certain years, the media and the judges just decided it was Cameron Smith's year, and other years, the threes were going to Kronk. It was like, you know what? It's Kronk's turn almost that instead of just watching a game of football and saying who were the best threes in the field, they just start this narrative that Kronk's having a good year. So every time Melbourne win three, 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 or two, 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 and Pappenhausen's benefiting from that. Now he was so good last week that it's almost like Pappenhausen's having a good year. So he's got a pole. And you just pick up points all the way through. And I don't I, even going to pretend I have a great answer other than that. You really just can't have different judges doing every game. You need a small amount of people you can trust to watch most of the games and, and to just do it properly and take it seriously because it's just a joke. It's absolute joke.
0: I think if I was going to be a little positive about it um, and I have, I have all of the same qualms as what you do. Um, and I'll talk about a solution in a minute, but I think one of the positives and I'm going to say it's out of just probably just sheer luck is I think that 90% of the time the award goes to the right person. Um, I do think that a lot of the time it is right. Occasionally it's wrong. White right? Mine's a good example, but I do think most of the time in the end it actually washes out correctly. Um, but you know, what I will say about that is uh, the people that are contending at the end of that telecast of the Dally m award um, probably shouldn't all be there. Um, that's one thing. So certainly, you know, You do remember, you know, the um, person that sort of finished second, third, fourth, fifth, they're all in contention and then, you know, perhaps the right winner won it, but it shouldn't have even been that close and that sort of thing. But the other thing that it does too is that with the rules and stuff, I've also never liked the fact that um, with the suspensions and things, they play a role in it as well because, like, Mm. if you... You get suspended for a month, but you are the best player on the field. Like say that you're like a Jared Hayne two thousand and nine season for twenty of your twenty-five games and the other five you were suspended. You're the best player that you. You know, you you, mm. you don't you don't knock it the best player award just because you got the suspension, which by the way, now we're so cynical with suspensions that everybody gets suspended a bit. So you're gonna mm. we're gonna to get to a year that's actually gonna be really controversial because someone's gonna be suspended too long. Like if if um if Latrell Mitchell last year was in the running for the Dalli M and that suspension took it away from him, you know, I think that would have been really bad and sad for the game. So I don't like some of the rules around it like that. I do think that often we get to the right point. I do think that at one stage we're doing it a lot better. Like, you know, decades ago, we were doing it better than what we're doing it now for whatever reason, we just seem to with the point scoring. Um, As far as a solution, Luke, um, I tend to agree with you. Like the, I don't want to sound like that we're smashing the NRL again, but unfortunately, a lot of the topics where there's something negative or something needs to be fixed all comes back to the same core issue. And that is the NRL not professionally, adequately and transparently managing things. Um, And this is just another one of those examples, you know, like Luke said, most prestigious award in the game. And one of the ones that, by the way, you know, we're going to look back on someone's career in a minute. And one of the things that you look back on in career accolades is how many Dell EMs have they won? And that always comes up. You know, And it should because it's basically the most valuable player of the league, but we're not doing it right and we're not giving it any of the prestige it deserves in how we're managing it. So how do you do that? Well, look, the NRL needs to stop being tight asses basically and put some time into it and some money into it. They should be employing people in the NRL that are in charge of awards, whether that is who goes into the Hall of Fame as well as the Dally m voting as well. As, they should have a whole team that are doing that. And like Luke said, I I really agree with it can't be like um, a, a core of like 20 different people. No, you know? it's just in the, too
1: in, random, right?
0: Uh, well, I think a team of half a dozen people yeah. is fine, but those half a dozen people need to be um, recruited, trained, vetted, all that sort of stuff. Like, it can't just be a, somebody that played rugby league and has a spare 80 minutes a weekend to watch a football game, you know, and mm-hmm. there has to be some sort of criteria involved. And if you do a really bad job, you know, the role of that department in the NRL should be, hey, you gave no points to Tony Staggs on the weekend. Explain to me why on Monday morning we're going to have a review. Mm. Your reason, oh, you didn't watch the game properly. Okay, you're not doing it anymore. You're fired. Because that's what happens in the real world when you have a job to do and you don't do it properly. You know, like there there needs to be some sort of performance management and some sort of process in place to actually give the award something that it deserves because it is a really important award. I think we've gotten lucky most of the time in the Mm. person getting it that should. But it definitely needs to be fixed. And you raise a completely good rant, Luke. I 100% agree with you. And I'm annoyed that it has to be said for decades and the NRL still hasn't done anything about it, really. Let's move on, though, to the final segment. Uh, Legend Rewind. So every single talk and Footy now, we're going to do a Legend Rewind. Looks back, does a spotlight on someone's career. Um, We did a little bit of a one with Brad Fittler uh, a few weeks ago now where we looked at um, the question about him becoming an immortal. That came up. This Legend Rewind for this week, we're going to put Glenn Lazarus in the career spotlight. Now, Glenn Lazarus, um, I rate as one of the best front rowers I've ever seen, Luke. I'm just going to run by some of his accolades and stuff, and then you can tell me what you thought of Lazarus' Lazarus's career. But a lot of people probably that are younger fans might not know much about his career, so I'll go through it briefly. You know, he's a six foot 115-kilo front rower. Nicknamed the Brick with Eyes, which was a fantastic nickname. <laughs> um, he, he actually had a really big motor and amazing athleticism for a guy his size, because I'd hazard a guess that he is probably much bigger than 115 kilos some of the time. Um he debuted in 87, within a couple of years, cemented Origin and Australian jerseys. 353 first grade game, the first class games, but looking at NRL, he went across 13 seasons, played 282 games, including finals. Big things though with him, Luke, were he had a 71% win percentage in his NRL games. That's almost the same as what someone like Cameron Smith had. Uh, and in finals, Lazarus actually had a significantly better win percentage than what Cameron Smith had, to put it in perspective. And he's the only player in history to win premierships with three different clubs, Canberra, Brisbane, and Melbourne. So that's probably the biggest thing that resonates with me with Glenn Lazarus, Luke. He's a winner. And when you talk about, you know, someone like Payne Huss before, for example, being a, a great front rower of all time, This is a front rower that could win games. And there's probably one, uh, probably only really one other guy that I really put in that category that could really influence games like that coming from that position. That was Arthur Beatson, who I think are probably my two picks as the greatest front rowers of all time. But between 1989 and 93, you want to talk about winners. Glenn Lazarus played in five consecutive grand finals and he won four of them. Two of them were back to backs with different clubs, with Canberra and Brisbane back to backs. Uh, That is absolutely incredible. 89-90 with the Raiders, runner-up in 91, and then uh, 92 and 93 with the Broncos. Won four out of five premierships over that time. So, look, he was an amazing front rower to me, um, had a fantastic career. Doesn't get mentioned as much as what I think he should. Um, if you've got someone like Arthur Beatsen in the Immortal House, I think that he probably is up there with consideration with how we're looking at that award now. But as a player, for me, he was someone who um, had amazing metres, um, amazing work rate for someone his size, and really like could carry a team on his back from that engine room. And he was also, you know, had that thing that I said Haas didn't have. He could actually hit people and hurt them too. People were scared to run at Glenn Lazarus. And it was just... For his build and what you what you saw of him, what he could actually do, I just found it incredible. And for me, he's one of the best front rowers I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, I think he's certainly the best front rower in my time of watching the game. I'm too young for Beatson, so I can only go off what you've seen. Um, he, yeah, he's just an absolute legend of the sport. He, he was. I've watched a few of his games for my podcast on the Cemetery, and um, he's the best player I've ever seen at getting over the advantage line. In terms of when he gets at the front, like gets the ball, um, he just gets he's 10 meters every time and no one puts a shot on him like he just gets when he moves forward nobody ever knocked him backwards no one wrestled him over no one put him on his back he went the 10 meters every time carried a few with him and landed on his stomach and got up and played the ball he was just so wide and big that it was impossible to put a shot on but unlike a lot of guys of that build it was his motor he played 80 minutes in the front row New South Wales a couple of times. Um, no one did that again until Paul Gallen did it. And Paul Gallen, in you know, without minimising it, was a lock forward. Yep. They moved to the front row to do that in that game. Um, the brick was a full blown, actual giant front rower, as big as anyone in the sport, um, and and did that. And so he w- he was. Just, uh, I can't emphasize enough, I've, I've watched games now, and there's only one, and I remember it, only one time in any of them did anyone put a shot on him it was Gordon Tallis, and he was pretty late in his career, Lazo was in the 97 um, uh, Super League Origins stuff, but it, it's all those games you watch no one, and they're all big games, so the, the opposition, all the ones I've watched at him are the Grand Finals and the Origins and stuff, and teams are lining up to whack him, because it matters, it's a, it's a big day and they're picking him out. Um, and he just keeps going over the top of them that the the 89 grand finals are a great example. Um, he's playing against blocker Roach. Uh, he's playing against zero. Um, a lot of big boys in that team. They've got, a, they've got plenty of Pete, Wayne Pierce, but they've got plenty of others that don't have as big a name as that that were good players as well. But that's a hard, hard team, like big, aggressive forwards, and they keep going off the lazo and then no one gets a piece of him ever. He just, bang, he just makes it. He grinds over the top. He plays the ball and goes again. He was the best in the game we've ever seen at that. Um, It's important to contextualise that whilst that Canberra Raiders team is considered a super team now, they didn't win anything until that run. Like that, they sort of, you know, that, that run that they have with him is the start of, that's what makes them a good team. It's not like he went to a good team, that they were made a good team with him and others around him were the team that made the Raiders what they were. So, you know, he went to three grand finals there. He went to Brisbane, who had a very good roster, but Brisbane had never won anything. And all that changed was that they got Glenn Lazarus um, and they go back to back. It was a really good
0: Wayne Bennett quote, there, just to jump in and throw it in before you keep going with the Brisbane side. You know, Wayne Bennett had, had a quote when he was asked about him when Lazarus was inducted to the Rugby League Hall of Fame, you know, 15 years ago. And he said, I've never, ever seen or coached a player that could carry the meters and carry a
1: forward pack on his back, like what Lazo. No, it's big. unbelievable. he's oh. dead right, and that's the difference, right? They went from they had a really star started team when they started, but they never won anything. And when Lazo went there, they went back to back. Um, and and you know, and then the Storm again. The Storm were an expansion team. They were they were built. They got a lot of good players, but they were built from the offcuts of the teams that had been kicked out of the competition. They had quite a few of the Hunter Mariners. Um, they had a few of the Chargers, they had a few of the Western Reds, all the teams that got kicked out at the end of the Super League war. Basically, those players were looking for somewhere to go and some of them were good players, but you had to build a team out of that, right? Like they just, there's a few decent players there, but to win a comp in your second year as an expansion side, we'll never see that ever again. I can guarantee you the Redcliffe won't do that. Like no one, the Titans certainly didn't do that. We're not going to see that. Um, you go back to early years, we weren't seeing that, or we didn't see that. with we, Brisbane weren't able to win a comp in their second year. Um, or, you know, they, they, they went in from 88, 92, and they didn't win one until they got Lazarus, funnily enough. But Canberra took 10 years, the Knights took 10 years to, to win a comp with half the teams not in it. Um, plenty of teams never won it. It, it. it really is a remarkable achievement that they managed to do that. And a lot of that's on his leadership. Um, that end of the end of his career he was able to be kept going a little bit longer because he did put on a lot of weight and he was slowing down but the rules really suited him at the back two three years of his career were were the unlimited interchange era so Mm. he was had this great motor was this wonderful player and as he was slowing down he got a nice little benefit at those melbourne years that they were able to roll him out for 15 minutes give him 10 minutes off and roll him back on and really manage him that way um which was fine, those were the rules at the time, so that he was able to squeeze a bit out of himself at the end of his career that he might not have been able to otherwise. Um, and probably the other thing is just his origin record was that he played that those mid-90s Blues teams were the first ones to really dominate origin for New South Wales, and he was a very, very big part of that. Um, it was all about Queensland and Wally Lewis before then, and that team with him and Daly and um, Ricky Stewart and the Chief, um, you know, that, that Tim Brasher, that sort of era of young Freddie, uh, were the first team to really give it back, I think, consistently and win a few in a row. I think they won three in a row and he was a really big part of that as well. But just There's not much else to say other than that um, he should actually come up in immortal discussions when they're run. And the question about whether he should get in should really only come down to whether we are looking for the best players ever in terms to influence result, in which case it would almost exclusively these days you would only be able to pick spine players. Like you can't pick mm. a winger, for example. Um, or whether the question is how much better you were than the other players in your position. Because if it comes down to like how dominant you were in your position as opposed to other people, then he should quite genuinely be having a very, very seriously thought about being in there because he has both the record of a Cameron Smith type player, but also the, the there's players that get on star power and players that get in on accumulated records. And Smith's a guy that just has a great record And he'll probably go close to getting in Or probably will get in based on some of that And there's guys where you don't even need to look at the record If you just name a guy's name a Bob Fulton, by all accounts, was like this Andrew Johns, is, it, it was a bit like this yep. You just say the name and everyone knows That was watching football and how good Like, oh yeah, Andrew Johns yeah, You don't need to quote anything at me I saw him play Like, And Lazarus had a bit of both That he has the record to back it And anyone, you talk to anyone worth their salt Who knows football and loves forwards and stuff And no one won't put Lazo. they go, oh yeah yeah, yeah, Lazo, right. One of the best front rowers ever seen or best oversaw. So, if, if the question is, should, are immortals based on how much, how good they were in their own position, then I think the gap's big enough that he should be really close or, or he would be in. Um, and if the question's how much you influence the result, then maybe he misses out because, you know, um, front rowers still can't. Quite do what halves and those guys can, but that's how good he is that he should be in those conversations.
0: He doesn't come up near enough, and Mate, even should. just in non-immortal yeah. conversations, as far as you know, some One of the, the best, best players, players ever. Ever, yeah. it's hard because I think that it's done. I think we're so focused on playmakers and spine players, like you said, mm. especially in the last decade, that we forget yeah. about these type of players or we dismiss yeah. what their um, what their influence on results or on their teams could be. You know, yeah. certainly in the nineties. Um, And definitely in the 80s and before, you could have a dominant front rower that was the the heart and soul of your team that was leading it around. And you could get away with even even though those Canberra teams, especially when he started, weren't like this. You know, you could almost get away sometimes and win some football games with not having a great halfback and stuff because you had these type of guys. Lazarus as well, like one of the things that doesn't get mentioned is we always look at things on with rose-colored kind of glasses and stuff. Um, he he did face adversity that he had to overcome to actually finish the career that he ended up having. Like he he was dropped in Brisbane at one point, yep. um, which you don't get now, right? You used to have reserve grade yep. where you know players would get dropped and then have to fight back from it. And and yep. sometimes you get guys that are sort of mid-career that don't have the the end of the, mm. the second half of career that they should, or guys that are at the end of their career that fade and finish earlier than what yep. they should have. He didn't do that. Before Melbourne signed him, well, at the time of Melbourne, he actually had to come back from a very serious ankle injury where he had ankle Mm. surgery, um, which for a guy his size at the time would have been 125 kilos, I would imagine. It was very, very difficult to come back from, you know. And he didn't just come back. Like Melbourne had a two-year window with him to win a grand final. They specifically said, we are bringing him in as the most important signing in the Melbourne Storm history. And, you know, Melbourne Storm's only starting now, but in years to come, he'll be the most important signing because he's the guy that's going to start winning for us. Yeah. That's why they brought him in. And within two years, he won them a grand final as the captain of that club. You know, it cannot be understated. And some people will dismiss this sort of stuff and say, oh, it was, you know, other things were factors. It's a team effort or whatever. But if you're a winner for that longer period, the... You know, you won a higher percentage of finals games than than a Cameron Smith and on par overall with how many games he won. Uh, And you've gone to three different clubs and won a grand final at them. It's no longer a coincidence or as much the influence about other people. That is a winner. And those are the type of guys that are all timers, you know, and he could have gone to other clubs and still had that type of impact. So Glenn Lazarus, phenomenal career, one of the best front rowers I've ever seen. And he shouldn't even be limited to front row. He should be spoken about as as one of the best players that we've seen, certainly in the last thirty years of football, but all timer as a front rower in probably more immortal discussions. Luke, why do you think to finish up? You know, we've gone through his numbers, the sort of things that he did, the type of player he was. Why do you think that he hasn't come up as much, especially with the you know current generation, the last you know two decades from the two thousands type of thing? I feel like he's been very forgotten.
1: Oh, it's just—it's just that there's nothing flashy you can point to with some of these guys. Like with a guy like like Lazo, um, he just did everything you want from a front rower, but that stuff isn't isn't exciting. Because even as a front rower, like you'll see more highlights of Paul Harrigan, who was nowhere near as good as Lazo, good as he was. It hurts me to say that, uh, but um, you know <laughs> what I mean. Like, because like, Chief and Spud, like that's what makes highlight reels—they went and yeah. murdered people, and that's. Wonderful and exciting, but Lazo was just better than everyone at all the key points of like getting over the advantage line, playing the ball, making his tackles. He, tack, he was aggressive and everything too, but he, he was never a high, he's not in the same highlight real player. It's just a consistent stream of excellence. Um, and and you know, Brad Clyde suffers from the same thing, he's a guy that could come out in a lot of these debates, they're forwards and being tireless and being good for longer than everyone else doesn't look as pretty on the camera. Like being able to do it for 80 minutes instead of 20 minutes, um, that still doesn't create as many highlight plays as a guy that's, Tear away for 20 minutes and goes off for a spell. So I think that hurts him a bit. And, and the last bit, of course, is just, um, you know, there is a bit of an ignorance of history of the game, and it's probably with every generation, but particularly this one now, I think as well, they just probably don't look at all of that old stuff as much um, as they should. So some of those old guys fall a bit out of sight, out of mind. Um, it, it doesn't really fit the celebrations. and the, the probably, uh, Actually, the last one is probably the teams he played in as well is that everyone thinks that Canberra team was a super team, which it was, but he was part of building it. He didn't walk into and it. And he was Not, there from
0: the foundation. Yeah, yeah, he, would, he yeah, he
1: started it. He didn't walk into it. He was there for the whole thing. Um, and the Brisbane, yes, Brisbane are a, were a super team in the sense that they were ridiculously good, but they got ridiculously good when he got there. They didn't win anything before he got there. Um And he was a very big part of building them to that. And the Melbourne Storm are also now a complete sort of Goliath, but they, they had every chance of not being Then every other expansion team almost ever has been crap for a long period of time. And everyone that started in the 90s almost sucked permanently and never got any good for like, you know, the Cowboys took decades to come any good. The Warriors still haven't come good. And like, like no other club that started in the 90s did anything at least until the mid-2000s except the Storm. So it's not a coincidence that he he was a part of that. He was a part of setting up all the sides that we now think of as being so successful that you can almost say, oh, yeah, he just won heaps of comps because he was at them. No, he built them all, all three of them. He's a big Mm -hmm. part in building them all.
0: New South Wales dominance as well. He helped build um, Australia. He never lost a World Cup match either. Um, yep. and had a phenomenal, I think, 90-plus percent record in Australian games when it was a much more competitive international game too. So, yeah, Glenn Lazarus, if you didn't if you didn't watch him or you didn't get a chance to watch him or you just didn't think about it, go and watch some of his games. Go and watch some of the big games because he's one of the all-timers. And I'll finish off by saying, you know, Luke made a good point that he wasn't particularly flashy and stuff. And, you know, you're relying a little bit on the numbers and the wins and stuff. But that's what people go on about with someone like Cameron Smith. And that's not to detract from Cameron Smith, you know, the amount of games he played, the amount of wins he has, the amount of dominance in winning that he had was phenomenal and it should be spoken about. But just because this other guy's a front rower doesn't mean that that should be forgotten about because, you know, just as much of all those numbers and that work rate and, and that influence on winning and all the numbers to back it up as well. So Glenn Lazarus, great career, fantastic career spotlight to go back on and do the Legend Rewind on. Luke, that'll do it for the podcast. Thanks very much for jumping on again. Really appreciate it. Always enjoy talking footy
1: with you. Awesome, mate. Love doing it. I can't wait to be back. And make sure you pick another player as good as Lazo to talk about next time. I can't do it enough.
0: I might even let you pick it next time, mate, especially because you're the Rugby League Cemetery maestro. So if you haven't listened to Luke's podcast, Rugby League Cemetery podcast does a a rewind on old games and reviews old games specifically, which is great to listen to. I think it's fantastic. Uh, Very different podcast as well. So you can get a little bit of a different Rugby League taste by visiting the Rugby League Cemetery. If you want to visit this podcast, make sure you go into iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Audible or Amazon. You can find it all there. Uh, make sure you give us some good ratings too. It always helps too. <laughs> like to see those coming through. And also follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. And that is the NRL Talk and Footy for this week and all the podcasts for this week. Next week, we'll have TLT Supercoach podcast. The Supercoach podcast will drop on Wednesday. And then we'll have another Talk and Footy podcast drop next Friday. But also, don't forget our fantastic sponsor of this NRL podcast, and that is Topsport. Topsport.com.au for all your betting needs, 100% Australian owned. Use SC All Stars as your promo code and get on there for a punt. Thanks very much for listening. Love talking footy with everyone. Been getting great feedback. Can't wait to chat some more footy again on next week's round of podcasts. Hey now, you're an All Star. Get your
1: game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid.